Obamacare. The very sound of it makes many of us cringe because we know our choices have been limited and the premiums just keep going up every year. We send our money to big insurance companies who cover elective abortions and profit from us while we struggle to make the monthly payments. Aren't you ready to break free from the shackles of high-cost health care? Please meet my friends at the Alliance for Shared Health. ASH for short. ASH is a health share ministry with over 40,000 households participating. They integrate best in class healthcare access solutions with the health share world to solve the health care crisis. As a member, you share in the financial burden related to catastrophic health care expenses while also having your own needs met. It's so easy. You can access the virtual care provider at, at zero cost, pick up a prescription from the pharmacy using the share prescription card, and order expensive lab or imaging tests at discounts of 60 to 80%, conveniently accessed on your phone via the Share mobile app. Not only is ASH helping U.S. residents break free from government-controlled health care, ASH is an international health share ministry. $1 per household per month connects members to its East African health share predecessor, where thousands and thousands of lives are being saved through the ASH-funded pediatric hospital in the remote villages. With open enrollment here, now is your chance to save 50 to 70 percent on your monthly premiums while making a difference in the lives of so many in need. Reach out to Ash today. Visit ashcommunity.org. That's ashcommunity.org. Alliance for Shared Health. Changing healthcare, changing lives. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Well, hello there. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. And I'm so excited about what we're going to be discussing today. We're going to be talking about the gig economy and uh, something called the PRO Act. And it's my pleasure to have one of my good friends from days of old when there used to be conservative conferences four and five times a year. And we would sit and listen to the panels and we would tweet and we would just enjoy ourselves. And then we'd have dinner and we'd do it all again for three days. And then we would look forward to seeing each other again later. I'm talking about Gabriella Hoffman. She's a media strategist, conservative political columnist, award-winning outdoor writer. She's based in the Washington, D.C. metro area. And since 2016, she has consulted with nonprofits, political campaigns, startups, small businesses, and veteran-owned companies. She is actually one of the people who has one of the best Instagram feeds on that platform. You can go on her feed and see her fishing. I mean, for big, huge fish, um, hunting, going to range days and shooting, covering SHOT Show, which is the industry. Um, it's like a conference for the national shooting sports and all of the different gun industry professionals, which she attends, and then so many other things. It's just a great informational Instagram feed to check out. Um, on Twitter, she is Gabby underscore Hoffman. Gabriella, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Stacey. Always fun to revisit with you. And I do miss the days of the conservative blogosphere coming together. I know <laughs> it's fractured a little bit now, but I hope maybe one day we can have those conferences return bigger and better. Uh, but Or maybe it was just you know, kind of a one-time era-related thing. But 
more positively, I'm excited to chat about this issue and why it's very pressing, not only for your listeners, but um, even beyond conservatives for everyone. I think the implications with reclassifying gig workers as employees is going to have serious implications, especially as it mounts further attacks on just a fledgling economy. So many people still struggling to bounce back. Small businesses still being hurt. The promises and edicts to enact a minimum wage hike. And then it's going to be compounded by the fact of this coming on. Um, I'm not sure exactly when this will be enacted in executive order form. I suspect President Biden will do that. Uh, But this is something that everyone, conservative, independent, Democrat, need to be aware of. Yeah. So when you talk about it, isn't it already something that's in effect in California? Because I know someone we know in common, Kara Davis, has been tweeting about this relentlessly because she's impacted by the legislation in California. So first off, just explain to the listeners what exactly the PRO Act is and what it does for workers who have independent contractor relationships with their employer. Absolutely. So AB5, essentially the the gist of it is, or, or the reason why labor backers and one woman in particular who is probably one of the most irascible members, and she's even irked members of her own party, fellow Democrats, Lorena Gonzalez. So they crafted this bill saying that we're going to give rideshare workers protections from greedy companies like Uber and Lyft because they're exploited. Uh, they're, they don't have benefits. They don't have these protections. But that's a ruse. Uh, because the fundamental understanding for why people go into ride-sharing or gig work is because they don't want to be labeled as employees. And I'm going to explain more about the different differentiation between gig workers and employees in, in just a moment. But the contention is they have found a scapegoat. They Perhaps there are a few disgruntled gig workers who want this, but the overwhelming majority of gig workers, especially ride-sharers, do not want to be reclassified as employees. Because what that does is takes them out of the market to have multiple gigs. And oftentimes when you hear, let's say, politicians on the left say, well, these people work multiple jobs. And there are certainly people who work multiple jobs. But if it's a gig worker who's working multiple gigs, they're usually choosing to work multiple gigs out of their own accord, out of their own self-interest, because it's very different from a nine-to-five. Employees, traditional employees, are constricted to nine-to-five, nine-to-six type work arrangements. They have benefits. Uh, they're salaried employees, typically speaking. If they want to unionize, they can. If they want different benefits, it's for the most part guaranteed. But you have the gig economy, which has been soaring and growing for many, many years now. And most recently, according to Upwork, which is like a freelancer type uh, aggregate and, and information source. So they conducted a study last year that found that 59 million Americans or 30 36% of the workforce now engages in some form of gig work. And gig work is not just ride-sharing or Uber or Lyft drivers. It's actually well beyond that. You have people like myself who are sole proprietors, independent contractors, who are self-employed, and we work with multiple clients or multiple individuals to essentially complete different tasks, have different projects. And the reason why we go into this on key motivating factor is we like the flexibility to work. I also like the draw of it where I have the potential to maximize my earnings to work with different people, to not really be constricted to one employee-employer contract situation. And this is why, especially in wake of COVID, um, there's this draw to this because people are discovering, especially with working remotely, they can now work from home. They can have these different um, inherent benefits. They may not get uh, healthcare or dental work, but if you're making more money, 
um, outside of the nine to five framework, you can set aside that money for benefits to your choosing. So the contention over AB5 is they want to kick people and eventually incrementally erode uh, gig worker type arrangements or gig worker classifications so they can further control this burgeoning sector of the economy. And also the contention with this, not only simply because they're going after Uber and Lyft drivers, and as a result, they're going after other gig workers, truck drivers, caterers, uh, audio technicians, videographers, freelance journalists, of which Kira Davis is. They're attacking a whole broad spectrum of different people who are self-employed across the gamut, people who are very upper middle income, people who are middle and lower income, who are trying to rise the ranks and pull up from their bootstraps and, and make as much money and maximize their earnings as they can. But AB5 contains this uh, three-pronged test. And if this test, ABC test, were to be enacted, and, and they have said they have implemented this in California, excuse me. Um, so it makes it so gig workers who currently do gig work, there's going to be further restrictions on them because they won't be able to pass the muster test of this ABC thing. So the stipulations that it has makes it increasingly difficult for gig workers to be classified as contractors versus employees. So by default, and with these different stipulations of this ABC test that AB5 stipulates, most people who have to go through that, and I believe this was previously common under FDR, um, early 19th, mid 19th century, and they changed this to make it so it's not as arduous. Uh, but but um, it'll be really impossible if this three-pronged test is implemented uh, nationally, and this is where I'll go into the product and how it differs a little. But most people under the three-part test will be labeled employees. So what that does is, um, people say, well, employee employers are exploitive, they're not giving people benefits, they're cutting their share of this, and they're putting limitations on workers, but they don't ever consult the workers in this. They're always talking about how evil and bad employers or clients are, uh, but they never talk to people who work in this. And I would say when you hear from most gig workers, whether they're moonlighters, people who have nine-to-five jobs, but they do side gigs, you have the rideshare-type contract or contingent workers, or you have the sole proprietors, independent contractors like me, uh, you'll hear a very different story. You'll hear that most of us are not exploited. We like the flexibility. We like the freedom that comes with being a gig worker. And being reclassified against our will without any input um, goes very much against what the gig economy stands for. And I think what the greater free enterprise system encourages. Now, the PRO Act, it would have that same ABC test. But even beyond that, Actually, what it would do is it would upend the right to work laws that are currently in place. So 20 some odd different states, I believe it's 27 states currently have right to work stipulations. What AB or what the PRO Act would do nationally would get rid of right to work, make it increasingly difficult for people to be gig workers. And I can send you some more context, but I'm just merely paraphrasing kind of big picture. Um, but you have an overwhelming amount of Democrats who signed on to this, and actually, sadly, a handful of Republicans who supported this, too. And there is H.R. 2474, uh, which passed last Congress, that had an overwhelming amount of support from Democrats. Some of them, in the end, decided that they can't support it, which was very good to see. But you see the majority of Democrats supporting the House version. The Senate version didn't pass because it, Mitch McConnell never put it to a vote. But you have, among the co-sponsors of this, now Vice President Kamala Harris. And you have statements by President Biden. He writes on his website, and I'm merely paraphrasing, under his joebiden.com slash empowerworkers, um, with respect to wanting to upend right to work 
he wants to hold corporations and executives personally accountable for interfering with organizing efforts and violating other labor laws. And it says that Biden strongly supports the Protecting the Right to Organize Act Pro X provision, instituting financial penalties on companies that interfere with workers' organization efforts, including firing or otherwise retaliating against workers. And it even says his campaign website that Biden will go beyond the Pro Act by enacting legislation to impose even stiffer penalties on corporations and to hold company executives personally liable when they interfere with organizing efforts, including criminally liable when their interference is intentional. So you have this kind of expanding upon 85, which would impose that three-part test, and they want to completely undo it and make gig workers powerless and give preference to union interests who overwhelmingly back Democrat Party politics. And this doesn't match up economic trends, interestingly enough, for context. And I think everyone across the political spectrum can agree. Over the years, union job influence has been declining. And right now, according to recent Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, information that was put out last January, they found that union workforce is down to 10.3% versus gig work, which is now 36% of the economy. So when you look at that, are they trying to artificially enhance union jobs when the demand for a type of workforce is now favoring gig workers, people who are contractors, sole proprietors, and just um, seeing this kind of creative disruption happening? So I believe Biden wants to reward his union backers by doing this. Uh, It goes very much against kind of the trends in the market. It also constricts freedom and people's ability to work at will with companies, and actually a lot of companies, in my own experience personally, I've heard this from other freelancers too, companies actually now prefer, not because they're paying people less, but they're paying people um, at, at, at costs that are a little more reasonable for their bottom line or for their marketing budget. So for me, if a company reaches out to me and says, I would love to work with you because I've heard of your case studies, I've seen the work you've done. Um, and they sometimes clients will tell me that uh, or prospective clients will say, you know, I hired this firm, I paid $10,000, and I got zero media hits. And I said, excuse me, what? You, you wasted all this money for getting no return on investment? So an independent contractor like me can come in and say, you know, I'm going to charge a fraction of that, but I'm going to offer you more deliverables. That's not a company shortchanging me. It's a company paying me usually at a mutually agreeable rate, um, something that doesn't burden their their budget overall. But it gives contractors who may be starting out or contractors contractors like me, who are already kind of in the stream of things, our businesses are established, but they want to see and, and defer more work to kind of outside workers. So companies are not trying to find loopholes. They're not trying to exploit people. They're not trying to uh, shortchange uh, contractors they work with. For the most part, they like working with contractors because uh, you can have uh, mutually agreed upon terms. You can have great working relationships that could amount to potential projects and collaborations in the future. And I can't say that for every corporation. I haven't really worked with corporations. I've worked with smaller scale companies and uh, established nonprofits in politics and other sectors. But the most of the time, gig workers generally prefer the arrangements with companies. And I can come to the table as an independent contractor. Uh, contingent workers like rideshare uh, drivers are a little less flexible in terms of their arrangements. They usually have to sign contracts with Uber and Lyft. But there's still a lot of benefits that come to that. But for the most part, when you're when you're an independent contractor, you can go to the negotiating table and tell a company, here are my rates. Here's what I can deliver on. If the company balks at that, you can always walk away from it. So usually it's most people deciding 
and agreeing to situations and contracts and projects on their own terms with the company. And you can bargain, you can reason, you can do all these different negotiation tactics to, until you reach a mutually agreed upon thing. And if you can't come to terms or can't find agreement, you can walk away from the conversation. And most well, of the and- time you hear that people... Well, and I I just wanted to interject there. I I did a huge and up until just recently, the majority of my income was derived from independent contractor work. And in doing that, I learned that some jobs are perfect for independent contractor relationships, like what you're talking Mm -hmm. about. It's like um, it's a contracted arrangement between you and that person. And it's a, you know, Mm -hmm. a specific length of time. Um, but then there's also the option of doing it on a long-term basis under a contract where you're still an independent contractor. One of those works out kind of perfectly the way you've described where you can go in and negotiate. And the other one where you're under a contract, mm-hmm. like the Lyft drivers, it's not as advantageous unless you really bring something to the table that motivates that other side to uh, you know, really give you a, a good compensated rate. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, I, I, I have to circle back around to something you said, Gabriella. I saw this statistic too. of Americans are uh, unionized. And we've seen what the Democrats think of union workers because they just destroyed, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if if it's almost 70,000 jobs. I keep looking at the number thinking this can't be right. 70,000 jobs in the oil and gas industry through canceling leases, Mm -hmm. canceling the Keystone XL pipeline. But they want to make people in the gig economy They want to convert those people into union workers. And I think what Democrats either don't understand or don't care about is the freedom that you experience as an independent contractor is not present if you have a Mm -hmm. union because the union essentially is your boss. Yep. Negotiating on your behalf, dictating terms. Mm -hmm. And I feel extremely bad for these union workers. And I know we as conservatives typically rail against unions. I personally think the practice is outdated. And I, I would hope that the energy workers who belong to unions maybe rethink and reassess perhaps union membership. And I know we saw that very uh, consequential Supreme Court case of mm-hmm. that individual. I forget the case off the top of my head where he didn't want to, uh, I think it was relating to political donations or associate, I, I forget exactly the stipulations of it. But I, I would hope that energy workers who got shortchanged by this executive order would reassess uh, because they're, they're, I think perhaps a lot of union workers, I mean, a, a good number of them voted for President Trump for re-election. I have no doubt. It's the contention over the union bosses and the, the organization um, as a whole. But, um, and I'm reading from, actually, I, I've always wanted to find tangible figures, and I think your listeners will find this to be very prudent. Uh, but if you were to reclassify workers, and uh, this is from American Action Forum, which purports to be center-right. So if you reclassify workers, so As of last year, gig workers uh, across the spectrum generated about $1.2 trillion in revenue in total. That's pretty massive. That's a very big economic footprint. If you were to reclassify employees, um, and actually only one in 10 want to be reclassified as employees, gig workers, so it's a very small number of people who want to be unionized. um, So obviously, take it for what it is. And it's going to affect potentially 8.5% of the gross domestic product, and it's going to um, displace about 3.6 to 12.1 billion dollars of upward costs on employers, and it's also going to have a loss in revenue between 17.2 billion and 33.3 billion uh, all across the board. So it's going to have exorbitant amount of costs. It's going to restrict freedom. It's going to result in more uh, negative outcomes like what you see with the Keystone Pipeline, and it goes against, like I said, the demand that's currently in the economy, and also 
the fact that this is one of the avenues where people can kind of create their own revenue stream, especially if they've been displaced from their job because of COVID. Uh, It's an alternative economic structure because it has a lot of draws. People are now enjoying more time with their family. People want to be able to dictate their hours. They want to negotiate on their own behalf to, to have the best situation and best return on investment for their work output. And for any major party, whether it's Democrats and even a handful of Republicans, even contemplating that, this should be wholly rejected. I mean, we see this with teachers' unions. I have heard from different people here in liberal Northern Virginia, someone who I know is like was a diehard progressive. She posts on Twitter to me. She says, you know, this year for Virginia's gubernatorial race, I'm going to vote for any Republican who gets the nomination. Because she said just the teachers' unions have screwed over her kids. Um, they're not serious about opening schools safely. You probably have heard of uh, the open schools movement here in Northern mm-hmm. Virginia, but this is all over the country, too. So people are seeing that unionized enterprises are very counterintuitive to tailoring experiences, tailoring needs, or tailoring just the trends in the market. So I suspect there will be big out- backlash to this. Californian Democrats are super pissed off about this. Nationally, you don't see that as much. You kind of see efforts of there's a freelancers union, which makes no sense in New York. So you see people all across the board. But like I said, I think it's a very small minority of people, Democrat or Republican, who want to be reclassified as employees, um, given the statistics that have been presented. But when people are presented this writ large, I think they're going to see just the negative implications that come from this. They're going to see their restrictions that come with this. They're going to feel that they have no, no ability to breathe. They can't dictate the terms of their business. And people think, well, freelancers, they don't really have to do anything. They have no obligation. Freelancers still pay taxes. We pay maybe a little bit less of a rate, um, but it's not so different so much when you when you put it into the grand scheme of things. But it's just, they're finding ways, and I feel like they did this when Uber and Lyft first came out. Uh, when they first came out as these really exciting enterprises, they wanted to find a way to regulate them, to make them not as successful, to give more preferences to unionized taxis. So they want to always find a way, I feel like these regulators on the left especially and some on the right, want to find a way to regulate these emerging enterprises out of existence. And they don't know or they fail to forecast the unintended consequences that come with this. And if we really want to see healing and unity from this new president, I would encourage him. I don't think he's going to listen to conservative media, but it would be wise of him to listen to people in his own party who have seen the firsthand effects of AB5, who can forecast the problems of the PRO Act. And there are a few members who do. I don't know if he has their ear, but I would really hope the only way that we can foresee this for being stalled is if people in his own party tell him, you need to reassess this because you're going to displace people from the workforce even further. Unfortunately, though, Biden has echoed a lot of the sentiments. Um, He's put out numerous tweets. He put out one in May praising AB5, affording gig workers protection and benefits like a minimum wage and overpaid time. Now Now gig economy giants are trying to get the law and exempt workers is unacceptable. And he encouraged people to vote against Prop 22, which actually the court, Supreme Court in California uh, dismissed the challenge to Prop 22. So that, that was really encouraging to see. And then in September of last year, Biden said that President Trump and Republicans have waged a war on American labor unions. It'll end on my watch. I'll sign the PRO Act, making it easier for workers to organize and collectively bargain to be the strongest labor president workers have ever had. So given his past statements on his campaign website, his tweets, I'm unfortunately pessimistic, but I think the only change or the only way we can stop this is if Democrats 
encourage him to to abandon this. But I'm I'm not encouraged by his labor pick, Marty Walsh, mayor of Boston. Although some context in Boston have told me he did encourage gig work, but seeing what the the agenda that President Biden has outlined, it, it doesn't give me any encouragement, unfortunately. So I think it has to be a bipartisan effort with Republicans and Democrats. And I think those of us who are conservatives I, I can, can say that I think we can advocate for good bipartisan causes like this because it impacts all of our livelihoods. It's a big sector of the U.S. workforce and more people want to do this and, and it's an ever-growing type of arrangement for, for work. Uh, more people are going to gravitate to this, to this because maybe they're sick of their nine-to-five jobs. They want to have flexibility. They want to have more freedom. And, and they're tired of constantly being stressed in the traditional workforce. And most companies have restructured how they're doing things. People are working in hybrid situations, remote or in-person. A lot of companies are foregoing uh, the traditional type of workplace environment because it's too costly or they realize they don't have to do it. So workforce environments are changing and the market is rewarding gig work. And if you go against the trends, it's going to have a lot of ramifications and there's going to be a lot of blowback. And like I said earlier, because of just the trifecta of um, small business closures due to burdensome COVID regulations, now the executive order for this minimum wage hike, which will have deleterious consequences, and then this, which is looming, but expected to be tackled and implemented under the Biden administration, it's not going to help usher in an economic recovery. It's going to devastate people and make them more disgruntled with the government. And, well, and, and, you know, Gabriella, I think that's kind of the point. Uh, as I look yep. at the things that Biden is enacting, it is pretty clear that he is his intent is to make um, working difficult and increase people's dependence yep. upon government. Um, but I wanted to say thank you so much for joining us today. And I, everyone has to go to townhall.com. Gabriella is one of their columnists, and she writes fantastic articles, not just about the gig economy and legislation pending in Congress, but uh, her latest piece is on proposed California black bear hunting bans. She talks about how that's not scientific. It's actually anti-science. Uh, so she's writing about a ton of different things there. Really great information. And I'm just so glad you had time for us today here on the podcast. Thank you for joining us, Gabriella Hoffman. I'm very honored to speak with you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. And I hope I get to see you soon. It would be good to see you and catch up after all this time. <laughs> it would. It would. It totally would. Um, and I'm looking forward to when we can all kind of, you know, sit down and have dinner together again and kind of um, strategize and, and have have some good times again. Gabriella Hoffman, townhall.com, at Gabby underscore Hoffman on Twitter. It has been great to talk to you. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you. All right. So we will be back with more on the Stacey on the Right Show podcast. Um, look for us on all of the places where podcasts are available. We are on every platform. You can also share the podcast from StaceyOnTheRight.com and also visit our actual host, which is FamilyVisionMedia.org. You can also find the podcast there and other great and fantastic work that we're doing. So until next time. 